Good afternoon. These days are unlike anything we've ever experienced before. But God is in control. So we're going to trust him. And we're going to love each other and we're going to help each other. So let's do the best thing we can possibly do right now. Let's open God's word together. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. While you're turning there, I have a question for you. It's a question I wrote down weeks ago, not realizing how appropriate this question would be today. Here's the question. Does life ever scare you? Does life ever scare you? Do you ever feel frightened or overwhelmed by the circumstances in your life? Recently, the New York Times published the results of a Gallup poll that said, Americans are among the most stressed people in the world. Last year, Americans reported feeling stress, anger, and worry at the highest levels in a decade. In the United States, about 55% of adults said they had experienced stress during a lot of the day prior, compared with just 35% globally. I imagine the anxiety level in the U.S. and the world is higher today. If you are feeling stressed or worried about the coronavirus or anything or everything else going on in your life, would you like some really good news? God is never stressed or worried. God always knows exactly what to do and when to do it. And he shares his wisdom with us. The passage we're going to look at today was put on the preaching schedule months ago. Clearly, the Lord knew that we would need to explore Deuteronomy chapter 20 at this extraordinary time in our world. This passage covers God's laws of warfare for ancient Israel. These instructions are over 3,500 years old, and yet we're going to see they perfectly fit our situation today. And for every battle and every scary situation you and I face in our lives. Let's read verse 1 together. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. <clears throat> when you go out to battle, can you relate to those words? Do you ever feel like your life is a battle? maybe especially these days, maybe every day. I usually commute to Burbank five days a week, so that means Monday through Friday I'm doing battle on the 57 and 210 freeways. Sometimes for a little variety I take the 5 and the 60. As the people of Israel prepared to enter the Promised Land, battle was not only likely, it was a sure thing. God told them they would need to go in to possess the land. Possess means take the land by force. In verse 1, Moses says, when you go out to battle. When, not if. Against your enemies, plural. And when you see all their horses and chariots in superior numbers, don't worry about it. Do not be afraid. Really, Moses? Don't be afraid? The people of Israel were the ultimate underdogs. Vegas would put Israel's odds of winning all their upcoming battles somewhere close to a person's odds of winning the lottery without buying a ticket. Moses says, your enemies outnumber you. They have horses and chariots, but don't let that bother you. Do not be afraid. 
If you were in Israel's army and you heard Moses say that to you, what would you think? Maybe you'd be thinking, don't be afraid. Moses, fear is my spiritual gift. Worry and fear are my superpowers. If I could be a superhero, I would be Captain Anxiety. Maybe you'd take Moses aside and you'd say, hey Mo, you don't seem to be grasping the tactical situation ahead of us. We're just a bunch of former slaves, not soldiers. All we know how to do is wander in the wilderness. We're good at that. We've been wandering and grumbling for 40 years. We are walkers and whiners, not warriors. Moses, while we've been wandering, our enemies have been training and growing their armies and building weapons and fortifying their cities. Our enemies are big. They're armed to the teeth. And they go to war for fun. Moses, this is not going to be a fair fight. Then imagine Moses looking at you and saying those beautiful and true words that change the entire equation. Moses says, you're right. It will not be a fair fight because your enemies have no chance at all because the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. Do you ever feel like your problems have you outnumbered? Do you ever feel like the odds are stacked against you? Whatever we face, we need not fear because our battles will not be determined by the strength of the enemy. Our battles will be won by the power of God. I'm going to repeat that because I need to hear that again. Whatever we face, we need not fear because our battles will not be determined by the strength of the enemy. Our battles will be won by the power of God. If we learn nothing else today, let's all learn this. God is faithful. God is all-powerful. God is with us, and we can trust him. When our battles look unwinnable, we need to stop counting all the soldiers and all the horses and all the chariots. We need to stop counting the things that are, are against us and start counting on the God who is with us. We need to stop counting the things that are against us and start counting on the God who is with us. Let's read verses 2 to 4. When you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. God gave the priest a very important job to do. The priest's job was to encourage the soldiers before the fight. This was not a pep talk. This was not a pep talk. This was a reality check. The priest spoke the words of God to the soldiers. The words of God reminded the warriors of the reality that God is with them. The priest said, do not be faint-hearted. This means do not lose your courage. 
Do not be afraid or panic or tremble because God is going with you to fight for you and save you. This reminds me of something Greg Laurie said after the tragic death of his son who died in a traffic accident a few years ago. Greg said, when we face an impossible situation, the question to ask is not why, but who. Who do I turn to at a time like this? God is the one to turn to before, during, and after every battle. Whatever battle you and I face, we need to remember that God goes with us, not just to observe, not just to keep his eye on us. No, Almighty God goes with us to fight for us, to save us. It's so awesome. The priest was right there with the troops to remind them of God's faithfulness and power before they went into the battle. Where is that priest today to help us with our battles? Well, every member of God's family is a priest. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a nation a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I are priests in Christ. So we have a very important job to do. When we see our brothers and sisters going into battle, we need to come alongside them to encourage them with the truth, the excellent truth of God's word. We are really blessed in this church because God has given us some wonderful priest role models that we call our prayer team. Like some of you, I've had the blessing of having our prayer team gather around me at the hospital before a scary surgery. I guess all surgery is scary, isn't it? You know, the definition of minor surgery is what other people get. Major surgery is whatever you get. When the prayer team comes to you in the hospital, or meets with you after our church services, or talks to you through the email or over the phone. They don't give you a pep talk. They give you the truth of God and they pray for you. Every one of us can be a priest like this in someone else's life, especially now. To be a priest, you don't have to be eloquent. You just have to be available. Let's read about God's surprising war strategy in verses 5 to 8. The officers shall also speak to the people, saying, Who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle, and another man would dedicate it. Who is the man that has planted a vineyard and has not yet begun to use its fruit? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle, and another man would begin to use its fruit. And who is the man that is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the battle and another man would marry her. Then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Here Moses gives four exemptions from service in Israel's volunteer army. 
on the surface, this doesn't make much sense, does it? Why, why would Moses excuse anyone? Why wouldn't Moses want to keep every soldier he could get? God commanded Moses to dismiss anyone whose heart was not in the fight. Distracted soldiers would only distract other soldiers, so it's better to send them home or at least they can do something productive there. We see here the principle that God doesn't work through numbers of people. God works through the hearts of people that are committed to him. God told Moses to dismiss all the distracted soldiers. And as their numbers dwindled, their strength multiplied. Do you remember the story of Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 7? Gideon went into battle against the mighty Midianites. The Midianites had 135,000 soldiers. Gideon had just 32,000 soldiers. But God sent most of them home, so only 300 remained. This means Gideon went to war with 300 committed men of God against 135,000 enemies. And God gave Gideon the victory. About 1,500 years after Moses, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 7, Humble yourself, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God knows it's our nature to want to fight our own battles. We tend to fight first and pray later. We have that backwards. We need to pray first and fight later. Have you noticed that most, if not all, of the things we battle in this life are out of our control? No matter how hard we fight, often our efforts are futile. If we just keep fighting on our own, we're just going to keep getting more and more stressed out. This is not the life God wants for us. God wants us to humble ourselves. God wants us to recognize that coming to him is the best battle plan we can possibly have. I want to say that again. God wants us to recognize that coming to him is the very best battle plan we can possibly have. When we trust the Lord, we can take the stress off our backs and put it on his broad shoulders. Then, then we can go into battle unburdened by fear and empowered by the reality that God is with us and he's got this. When life seems scary and dangerous, there's a reason for that. The Apostle Paul explains why. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Spiritual warfare is a fact of life for all believers in this dark and fallen world. Well, who is our enemy? 
just the forces of evil controlled by Satan. That's our enemy. His forces outnumber us, and he has lots of horses and chariots. We have no chance of victory against this enemy unless we gear up for battle by putting on the full armor of God. With the full armor of God, we can stand firm against whatever life throws at us. Well, what is the full armor of God? Paul tells us if we read on in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. Paul writes, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, at all, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all the perseverance and petition for all the saints. When we put on the full armor of God, we don't live in fear. Instead, we live in alert preparation for the battle we know is coming, just like Moses told the people of Israel to be ready for battle, but know that God is with them. When we put on the full armor of God, we believe that everything God says is true. We believe his promises. We believe he loves us. We believe he has saved us. And we believe that he will fight for us in every battle. And we believe that every battle and every outcome will fit his perfect plan for our lives. When we put on the full armor of God, we read God's word so we can know what he wants us to know. And then we can be guided by his words in times of trouble. And we can turn our worries into prayers. When we put on the full armor of God, we can stand firm against the attacks and temptations we face in this fallen world. One of the greatest temptations is to lose hope and feel like we're alone in the battle. But when we put on the full armor of God, we know that we're not alone because God is with us. Remember what Jesus said about trouble in this world? In John 16, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus says we will have tribulation. We will have battles to fight on this side of eternity. But Jesus himself is our guarantee of victory in this life and forever. Jesus knows how badly you and I need peace in our lives. But peace doesn't last if we put our hope in the here today, gone tomorrow things of this world. As we're seeing today, even our routines are being interrupted. And the things we used to take for granted, like being able to buy all the groceries we want at the store, or even being able just to come to church, are suddenly unavailable to us. In the world, we can find fleeting peace, we can find temporary peace and broken peace. But lasting peace, lasting peace is found only in Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus is saying the same thing to us that the Lord told Israel before they went into battle. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus is offering us something much greater than the flimsy and fragile peace of this world. Jesus is offering us his very own everlasting peace. If we want lasting peace in this fallen world, there's only one place to find it. That's in Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4, 6-7, Pastor Drew quoted this to us just a few days ago in his video message to us. But let's read it again. Philippians 4, 6-7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. (laughs) This might be the hardest verse in the Bible for us to believe. God says we don't have to worry about anything. We can pray about everything. But we all feel the need to worry, don't we? Somehow, we feel if we're not worrying, we're not doing our job. But God says our job is to pray and leave the outcomes to Him because the Lord always knows what's best for us. Brothers and sisters, we need to seriously answer the question that Paul asks us in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? We all have battles to fight long after the coronavirus is history. We will still have battles in this fallen world. Let's help each other remember. We don't need to fear. God is with us. And every battle and every outcome is in his loving, all-powerful hands. In the next few verses, Moses tells the people of Israel that they're going to face two different kinds of enemies. Those that live inside Canaan. Canaan is the promised land and those that live outside the promised land. Let's read God's instructions for how to deal with the enemies that live outside Canaan, outside the promised land. Verses 9 to 11, Deuteronomy chapter 20. When the officers have finished speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies at the head of the people. And here is the command in verse 10. When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, Then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. God told his people to offer terms of peace to the cities that are outside the promised land. The cities that accepted the peace treaty will become subservient to Israel, but no one will be harmed. Let's read on, verses 12 to 15. However, if if the city does not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. When the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall strike all the men in it with the edge of the sword. Only the women and the children and the animals and all that's in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as booty for yourself. 
and you shall use the spoil of your enemies which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of these nations nearby. In other words, this is for the cities outside of the promised land, not for the cities inside the promised land. If an outlying city rejects peace and goes to war, God's command is clear. He says, you must besiege that city. Each city was built like a fort with a protective wall all the way around it. Besiege means that you surround the city and you cut off their supplies and ability to send for reinforcements. Then later, when the besieged army was weakened by uh, lack of food and water, they were more easily defeated. God commanded his people to only strike down the men because it was the men who took up their swords to fight against Israel. The women and children and animals were to be spared. God told the people of Israel to use the wealth of the conquered city to cover the expenses for the battle. Besieging a city is a very slow but sure way to win a war. A siege could last for months, even years. Why didn't God just knock these cities down? Why didn't God do what he's done before? Why didn't God just open up the earth and swallow these cities whole and be done with it? Don't we sometimes pray for God to just, oh God, just make our problems disappear? Sometimes God does do that. But often God's perfect battle plan calls for us to trust him for the victory that will come slowly but surely over the weeks, months, or years ahead. When God delays, it's always for a reason. And that reason is always for our benefit. When God delays in giving us victory, it's always for a reason. And that reason is always for our benefit. We just read God's commands for the cities outside the promised land. God had a different set of commands for the cities inside the promised land, inside Canaan. Let's read those, verses 16 to 18. Only in the cities of the peoples, of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. The people that lived inside the promised land were thoroughly evil in the sight of God. So this was not a war of conquest. This was a unique war of God's judgment on sin. Allowing any breathing thing to survive would be like a doctor allowing any cancer cells to stay alive in your body. God commanded complete destruction so the sin of the land would not come back to corrupt the people of Israel. God takes sin very seriously. Let's finish the chapter, verses 19 to 20. When you besiege a city a long time, there we, again we see it's a long time, this battle, when you besiege a city a long time to make war against it in order to capture it, you shall not destroy its trees by swinging an axe against them. 
for you may eat from them, so you shall not cut them down. For is the tree of the field a man that you should be, it should be besieged by you? Only the trees which you know are not fruit trees you shall destroy and cut down, that you may construct siege works against the city that is making war with you until it falls. To besiege every city, the army of Israel will need lots of wood to build ramps up to the walls, to make weapons, to construct shelters, and to have fires at night. God reminds them that when the battle is over, this is going to be their new home. So don't cut down all the fruit trees because they're going to need those later. God thinks of everything. God always knows exactly what to do and when to do it. That's why we're doing the best thing we can possibly do when we trust him in every battle, even the battles that take a long time. As we close this chapter, let's think about the battles you and I are facing today and whatever battles will come in the months and years ahead for us. Will we count the horses and chariots and numbers against us? Or will we trust in the Lord who is with us? The Lord says, do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Let's stop counting the things that are against us and start counting on the God who is with us. If you need prayer for any battle you're going through today, there are two options for you. Please call this number. It's the church number, extension 2. Please call 714-779-8546, extension 2, or email our prayer team at prayer at trcclive.org. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you... You always know exactly what to do and when to do it. Thank you for going with us into every battle to fight for us, to save us. Thank you that every outcome is in your hands. We need you, we trust you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.